we get into our message, uh, Lydia and Raul are here from uh, Guatemala, and we wanted them just to come up and give you just a real quick brief update on what's going on down there. So uh, it's important, you know, that we keep them in our prayers, uh, but uh, also important for us to know what's going on. So uh, Lydia and Raul, why don't you guys come on up? Good morning, everybody. Lo siento, a veces los nervios no me dejan cambiar el idioma. I'm sorry, I get so nervous sometimes I can't switch my language. Entonces, mi esposa me va a ayudar. So, my wife is going to help me. Antes que todo, quiero darles muchas gracias por sus oraciones y sus y sus apoyo. So, to start, I want to give everybody thanks for all their prayers and their support. Ay, para Darles a conocer lo que Dios está haciendo a través de nuestras vidas en Guatemala. So that you can know what God is doing through our lives in Guatemala. Lo quiero hacer lo más claro posible. We want to make it clear and simple. Por eso es que mi esposa lo va. So that's a, why Lydia is going to do it. <laughs> so I'm just going to explain really quick what we do weekly with the kids there. So we have 20 kids. Um, they're preschool through sixth grade, and they're all our neighbors. So we see them day to day. When we go to the corner store, anywhere, we see them all the time. And they come to our house three days a week. We're praying for somebody to come and help so that we could do five days a week. But right now, they're coming three days a week. Um, every time they're there, we give them a meal, and we give them vitamins, um, which is really important. At home, they really don't get any protein or fruits or vegetables, so when they're with us, that's the time of week where they're able to have it. Most of the time, that's the only time during the week they have any kind of meat, so they come to our house for that. Um, we most importantly, obviously, teach them the Bible. He does the Bible classes with all the kids right now. The older group is going through the New Testament. They're in the life of John the Baptist and the younger group. Right now, they're in the Old Testament at Jonah. And they love it. They, Catholicism is very big there, so they don't have, they've never been to a children's Bible class before. So this is the first time they've really ever gone to a class, and it's their age level, so they can actually understand. And the other day, one of the little girls, she even said to me, so wait, that Jonah story really happened. She never thought it was real. She just thought it was a story. So when they come to our house, they understand that it's a history. It's really actually happened. So the Bible is coming to life for them. So they learn every single week with us, and then we do English. English is a big pull there. As soon as they hear there's English classes, everybody wants to be a part of it. Everybody knocks on our door all the time. You have a school here? You're teaching English all the time. People want to come in because that's a big, big pull. So as soon as you have English, you're able to reach the kids, and then through that you can reach the parents. So we're doing English with them. Um, we also, so they come and we do homework help with math, reading, and writing. Right now there have been a lot of protests in Guatemala. The teachers want higher pay. So in the last six weeks, they probably only had five, six days of classes. So they don't even make close to 180 days in the school year. So most of them, they don't, they don't even, most of them never pass third grade. So most of the moms only have a first grade education, so they can't help their kids with homework. So they're able to come to our house and we do math, reading, writing, everything they need to help them, Spanish language, everything for them. We take them on field trips too, to national parks and places so they can actually see their country. They're all very focused on getting to America. That's where everything is good, they think. They don't realize where they live is also beautiful. So we take them to see where they live and learn about their culture and their history as well. 
Um, right now, he actually started with the dads. The moms do it too, but a lot of the dads are contractors, but they don't have money. So most of their homes are dirt floors, and they use sugar cane for walls, or they have like, um, it's kind of like tin, and they make walls. But right now, they start a project, and then we're building houses for them. So they're very simple, but they have three rooms that are 12 feet by 12 feet squares which is nothing like they've ever had before. So they're all really excited and it's cool because the dads are contractors so they all work together. So it's we start with one house and all the dads help and when we're done with that house, we go to the next one and everybody helps till it's done. So they're all building each other's house. So it's really cool and through that, the parents have actually been asking if we will start Bible studies with them, which is huge. And none of them are Christians, so it's really exciting. And the moms, I have an oven. They don't have ovens. They use wood fires in their house. And so they asked if uh, they can come to my house and I'll teach them to bake and I can do a Bible study with them when I teach to bake. So we're getting to the parents through the kids and it's really exciting. So they're open about it. Some of the parents still are a little not open, but actually quite a few have asked us. And one couple and their five kids came to church with us one day. So please keep praying for them. Um... I'm try oh, thank you for all of your prayers when I was sick and in the hospital. I know everybody was praying for me, so I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, and thank you to the people who helped support us to pay for hospital bills. I don't really know who did that, but I heard it happened, and I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, can you think of anything else I missed? No? And just to keep praying for us, please. We really appreciate it. Uh, we definitely know everybody here is praying. We're so thankful for all of the support. And anytime you want to come visit. Come on down. <laughs> and he just wants to share a Bible verse. It's in Matthew. In the chapter 9. Matthew 9. Verse 37. And it says. Entonces Jesús dijo a sus discípulos. A la verdad la mies es mucha, más los obreros pocos. And so Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. 12, 12. And Corinthians 2.12 uh, or 12.12? 12. 12. 12.12 12 says. And says the body has many members. Y los muchos miembros hacen un solo cuerpo. But all those different members make up only one body. And that's what the body of Christ does. Nosotros en Guatemala solo somos pies y manos. So in Guatemala, he and I are hands and feet. Solo somos un instrumento. We're just an instrument. El cual Dios permite ser parte de, that, de God, plan. that God allows to be part of his plan. Y con esto quiero decir que todos ustedes también acá. And I just want to say that everybody here are doing the same work in Guatemala. When you're praying for us, every time we have spiritual problems or weakness, we know we have family here who is praying for us. And so I'm really thankful for that. And we feel very loved. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Now you can never say that you haven't heard tongues with interpretation in this church. <laughs> I understood two words. Mucho and gracias. Jesus is mucho.
Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Uh, continuing in our study of Revelation. <clears throat> uh, chapter 12, verse 10 through 17. John writes here, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Can I hear an amen to that one? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. And therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had cast to the earth, that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time, a times, and times, and a half a time. It's three and a half years. From the presence of the serpent. And so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth, like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. The dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And with that, let's pray. Lord, how we praise you today. And Lord, we see, Lord, uh, uh, in this uh, uh, story here of chapter 12 and Lord, the overall, Lord, uh, time of tribulation, Lord, that's going to come upon this earth. Lord, uh, we, we see Israel here, and uh, Lord, we also see your intervention. We, we thank you that you're a God who's not afar off, but near and at hand. And Lord, that's not only true and has been true for the nation of Israel, but Lord, it's been true for the church and it's true for us. And Lord, we want to thank you for your mercies. I want to thank you for your grace and the kindness, Lord, you've extended to us. And Lord, we pray as we consider these things this morning that you give us insight. And Lord, uh, the one thing we are truly grateful for is salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That Lord, as we read of this horrific time that is coming upon the earth and the inhabitants, Lord, it's a time, Lord, when the church will not be here. That Lord, we will, Lord, be able to escape, Lord, this terrible time that's coming. Uh, yet, Lord, uh, we are here now, and Lord, uh, you've given us a message, and Lord, you give us opportunity and open doors, and there are many, many, Lord, uh, that are not saved, many that, Lord, that we live amongst that, that will perish. And Lord, it's not a time, Lord, for us to be just living to aggrandize ourselves. Lord, Lord it's a time to be Lord, uh, 
Lord, focused upon, Lord, the message that you've given us, the desperate need of those around us. And Lord, I pray that you give us the boldness, Lord, as, as Mark was praying in our opening prayer. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. We need power, Lord. We need, Lord, a, a fresh Pentecost to take place, Lord. If not at large, Lord, here. Lord, we need it. We confess we need it. Lord, we need you. Lord, how can anything ever be accomplished? And I pray that, Lord, especially today, if we're, Lord, struggling with a sense of perhaps barrenness in our lives, Lord, not perhaps maybe having confusion, not knowing, Lord, where to go and what to do. Lord, how I pray that, uh, Lord, you'd, you'd speak into our lives. And, Lord, we look to you. We, we thank you, Lord. You see each person here this morning. And Lord, you know our need. But, Lord, you're the answer. Lord, you're the one who can, can just so easily, Lord, uh, Lord, speak a word into our life and our condition. And how, Lord, you can bring remedy. Lord, you can bring healing. Lord, you, you're the one who can bring solution. So, Lord, we praise you this day. We thank you for all that we have in Christ. The many riches. And, Lord, the greatest treasure of them all is you. And so, Lord, we invite you. Lord, you're our shepherd. And we pray that, Lord, you would come and teach us by your blessed Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come to chapter 12, we find ourselves halfway through the tribulation period. But chapter 12 also, too, is a turning point. Uh, we find that the devil is evicted from heaven. Uh, there's rejoicing in heaven as a result of that. And we know that when he's being evicted from heaven, he's, he has limited access. He's not there all the time, but he has limited access at this particular time. We see that. The Bible teaches that. We see that in the book of Job, uh, how he goes and he... Uh, makes his accusations and his condemnations and all those sorts of things uh, regarding uh, God's people and particularly the church. But as we look at, uh, we didn't read them this morning, but verses 8 and 9 speak of his plight. Now as we come here to verse 10, we find there's rejoicing here and perhaps there were maybe a hundred million prayers uh, that have been made relative to the fact, thy kingdom come, uh, and the fact that the, the king the king will come, and that's the beautiful thing that we see here, the Messiah and his arrival. Uh, they're anticipating that. It's going to take place, even though uh, they're at the halfway point. Uh, and there's a measurement here uh, we see very clearly, and that's one of the reasons why our adversary, the devil, goes berserk, if you will, because he knows he has a very short time. Um, and so, uh, and, and of course, uh, at the halfway point here, it's basically about three and a half years. And so his final attempts here to destroy uh, the nation of Israel, and of course we addressed that before, why he wants to do that, why he's always, always tried to do that. You know, we talk about anti-Semitism. Um, and, and just look at the anti-Semitism. Coming up this week, you know, because of the, the embassy move and so forth, uh, coming up in many different ways and, and to differing degrees, uh, protest and that sort of thing, and, and, the, and the, you know, the, the violent reaction that we see uh, to anything that it has to do with Israel. Isn't it interesting, of all the things that are going on in world history, that we find this little nation of Israel 
is at the crux and at the very middle of all those things. And just like the Bible prophesied, just like the Bible said, you know, thousands of years ago. And here we find ourselves at the end of time. And God now is going to bring uh, to bear that restoration to that nation of Israel. And uh, what I find is fascinating and interesting, and you have a, uh, an insert there uh, that I thought was, was done excellently. I don't want you to read it right now, please. <laughs> um, that's why sometimes I hate to mention that. Uh, but it's, a, it's, a, it's just a great article there about what's going on, the, the, the posturing that's taking place by the nations today, and what's taking place in the nation of Syria. Fascinating and interesting uh, because it ties right into what the Bible says prophetically is going to take place, uh, that there's a war coming. This is before what we would call the, the, the day of the Lord or the great tribulation period, which in that tribulation period is the, the, the war of Armageddon. Uh, but the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which is yet future. In the, Bible, in the Bible there, if you read through 38 and 39, it speaks about it happening in a future time. And, and those players that we find in Ezekiel 38, in the very beginning of it, they're in Syria right now. Isn't that just a strange coincidence? Uh, and it's just as God said it would be. And that's why it's important that we need to pay attention to the Bible. Uh, you know, as we, as we you know, consider current events, uh, we, need to, we need to look at them in the light of the Bible. Uh, you know, not measuring the Bible by current events, but measuring the current events by the Bible. And there's a, a definitely a difference there. Uh, so in verse 10, we have here uh, this announcement, this loud voice that comes simply out of heaven, uh, that now salvation is coming. It's, and it's not just like salvation comes to us here and now, but salvation, in a sense, is coming on a worldwide basis. Um, and what an incredible thing that's going to be. I, can't, I, I wonder how many people will get saved, and I would imagine it's going to be millions, because God is merciful. His, his mercy triumphs you know, over judgment, the Bible tells us. And so um, I, I heard a Bible teacher, a guy I really respect, uh, one time say that there, no one's going to be saved during the tribulation. It's like, I don't know how you can come up with that. I'm not a Bible scholar, uh, but I know that when you read the book of Re Revelation, you realize uh, what, what's the purpose for 144,000 uh, you know, Jewish evangelists if nobody's going to get saved? It's ridiculous. Uh, tremendously, we're going to see God's grace demonstrated through that particular time. And, and one of the things that we see about the, the, this tribulation period in which we're reading uh, and speaking of, there's going to be a full display, a total display you know, of God's power being demonstrated. Uh, you know, it's amazing, isn't it, that, uh, you know, God is the, the God of the universe. He's created all things. He's at work in our world today. But until you have salvation, you cannot see it. Isn't it amazing? Remember what it was like before you knew Christ? Um, and the devil was sort of a caricature kind of a thing, a little guy with a red suit and a pitchfork and, uh, you know, ran around creating, you know, little disturbances here and there. But it's only really when you, when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you realize you can, it's as if you can see into that realm. Uh, the Holy Spirit just opens your eyes to realize uh, that God is there, that God is real, and that, you know, and that there is, you know, uh, that there is a malignant, you know, entity called the devil, uh, and one of the things that we've been talking about just a couple weeks ago about his, you know, his helpers, his minions, his demon spirits, and all these things. But you can't see that. 
You simply cannot see that until you come into the kingdom of God and all of a sudden it's as if God gives you these spiritual glasses and you put them on and, 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 and your, your, total, your perspective totally changes. And uh, so there's going to be a full display of the power. There's not going to be, you know, not going to be any questions, you know, about, uh, uh, you, know, you know, as far as God's judgment taking place. People are going to know that. Uh, there's going to be a, a, a rebellion, if you will, even against heaven. We're going to see that uh, as we continue to move through this book of Revelation. But he, say, he says here, now salvation, um, strength, the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God night and day um, uh, has been cast down. So the accusations will be, uh, they're going on right now, they will be past tense. Uh, and so what we have here is heaven's perspective at the devil's soon uh, demise. And I think too, no one, as we see here, you know, one of his, you know, one of his uh, great weapons, if you will, that is, you know, accusations, uh, condemnation. And how it's interesting, you know, how the devil is, he has a way of just, you know, tempting people, pulling people, you know, into sinful activities. Uh, but there's something that sin does to us. It, it, it has a guilt factor. Uh, it, it brings a sense of condemnation. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. So whenever there's sin in our life, there's a certain amount of death uh, that enters in, spiritual death. And, uh, and, and it's interesting how he tempts us and pulls people into sin. Uh, and yet when they get into sin, he accuses them. And he condemns them. Uh, people begin to look back. It's, you know, wish, why did I do that? You know, how could I make such a stupid mistake? And, and our adversary is so effective at this that if people just want to, they want to give up life. They want to just, they want to die uh, because, you know, because of maybe their past or the, the condemnation uh, that they're feeling. I would imagine anybody that takes their life um, and, and we hear of it all the time. It's a tragic, tragic situation. But I would imagine, too, the devil's right there accusing them. He's right there. He's condemning them. Uh, I like what it says over there in Romans chapter 8, that Jesus, you know, who is he who condemns? And, 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 and in that um, context of Romans 8, it's saying, you know, uh, you know, if God is for us, who is against us? Uh, he's for us. He's not condemning us. Uh, he may convict us to bring us closer uh, to him, but he never condemns us. We find our adversary, our enemy, is always doing that. And I think nobody is more like the devil when they get caught up particularly in false accusations. You know, I watched this week, um, you probably saw it too on the news, and many of the media outlets ran it um, because over in Israel for the, uh, uh, for the um, unveiling and so forth of the embassy and the change uh, over to uh, over to um, Jerusalem, uh, that there were a couple of American pastors there. I think John Hagee was one, and the other one was uh, Robert Jeffress. Um, and these are, these, are, these are two evangelical uh, pastors. But it's interesting how the news, con you know, how they you know, spewed out their condemnation, particularly against Robert Jeffress. Um, they were saying the mere fact that here they have somebody, they have somebody in Jerusalem, um, and uh, he's an anti-Semite. And they basically accused him of anti-Semitism because of his message, and our message too, of eclusivity. I'm sorry, exclusivity. That only through Christ and Christ alone can you be saved. 
So they derived out of that, and they probably no doubt um, listened to their, his, you know, probably his messages, you know, saying that you have to be saved through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And you can't, you can't get to heaven, you know, you can't get to heaven through some, some other agency. And, and so they basically maligned him. And here, the guy is one of the greatest supporters of Israel, like, like many evangelical churches and pastors are. Uh, but here we have, you know, just the accusations, you know, of the enemy, you know, against, you know, you know, God's people. He's always doing that. And it just grieved me to hear that. And it really made me, you know, it really upset me. Um, and, and, you know, the enemy, uh, our enemy, our adversary, Satan, he's always taking something out of context. Do you ever notice how sometimes maybe you might be talking to you know, different people about the Lord and how sometimes when you have somebody that's really adversarial, They'll just, in a special kind of way, take something out of context uh, to make the message look bad and uh, maybe even make the messenger look bad. But we see that um, that's coming to an end. Do you know the accuser of our brethren who accuses us night and day will not be active in the millennial period, the millennial kingdom? He won't be active. He'll be on his chain. He'll be on his chain. He'll be, he'll be in the abusu. He'll be in the pit. He won't be tempting anyone. Um, marvelous thing. I don't know if the people that will be born during that period will really appreciate that very fact. But uh, you and I can be there to tell them what it was like, you know. You know, it's a funny thing. Uh, um, I grew up with my grandparents. And... Uh, you know, they were born in an in a, in a, in a interesting time. They were both born in the 1890s. And uh, so they lived through the advent pretty much of, you know, the telephone, the, the, the airplane, the car. Um, they even lived, lived basically through the period, you know, two world wars. Um, and, and even to the period of, of a man being put on the moon. It was kind of interesting because I would sit there at times and just listen to him talk. You know, about what it was like to live through the Depression. Uh, you know, we've heard about the Great Depression that went on for, what, 12 years or something like 12, 13 years. And I can remember some of the stories and uh, of what, you know, what, in a sense, that world was like. And, and when you think about what that world was like, in a sense, what the nation was like then at that particular time, it's so different than now. It's like when you, you know, when you uh, uh, talk to the younger generation, about some of the things that uh, you know, have, you know, that have transpired, transpired rather in, in in our American history, it's like they have no, you know, no understanding at all of you know maybe uh, some of the challenges and difficulties and things that perhaps you know our parents and our grandparents' generation, you know, you know, faced those particular things. But um, again, I think that uh, we'll be able to uh, share some incredible stuff. Uh, with those, you know, that will be alive during the millennial reign. We will be there, folks. We will be there with Christ. Now, uh, in verse uh, 13, excuse me, 11 here, rather, the Holy Spirit gives us, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I just want to touch on it again. It's basically how to slay a dragon. You know, how can we, uh, you know, de ever defeat um, and neutralize that, that, you know, that work of the enemy that so often comes against us? And the thing is, you know, if we don't, if that work against us, if we don't know how to neutralize that, I'll tell you what, he's going to slay you. He's going to defeat you. 
It's going to neutralize your whole walk. And I think there's many people, many Christians in this world, that their life is neutralized by the adversary, by the enemy. And you know, he's so amazingly subtle. He can defeat someone and they don't even realize that they're simply living a defeated life. And, and here John gives us, well, the Holy Spirit actually gives us, it says, they overcame him. And he's speaking, they're speaking here about the devil, uh, the enemy. You know, by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives uh, to the death. Um, so first of all, it's trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, that he has wonderfully, you know, wrought redemption on our behalf. He died for me. He took our place. He took your place. He died for you. And it's just simply trusting. It's so simple, isn't it? Isn't salvation so simple? Yet remember, when we came to Christ, there was a titanic war. Remember the struggle that we had. And sometimes you watch someone as they're going through, you know, you know, should I believe in Jesus Christ? Should I really commit myself to him? Should I? Because there's a, there's a fear there, I think, if I, if I let go, if I let go of, you know, control of my life, uh, I'm just not going to have any, I'm not going to be able to enjoy myself. I won't be able to do what I like to do. And there's all these internal struggles that go on. I, I think there are many people who have said, yes, I believe in the Bible. I believe that Jesus is the Savior, but I'm going to just postpone it till later. But you know what happens? It never comes. Because the Bible says now, now is, is, is the, 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 the day of salvation. You know, now is the appointed time. That's why if you're praying for someone and you get a chance, uh, you know, to talk to them about Christ, uh, take advantage of that. Strike while the iron's hot, so to speak. Um, because uh, I think that there's, there's opportune times where the Lord's working in someone's life to bring them to that point where they're realizing that they need to be saved and that Jesus Christ is a savior. You know, I like what John Bunyan says. He says, I am a terrible sinner, but he is a wonderful savior. <laughs> and, and everybody who comes to Christ, you've got to come to that particular understanding that we are sinners, um, but he's a wonderful savior and he will save us out of, you know, this life of sin. Then too, you know, just basically telling our personal story. Remember, in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8, before this great outpouring of the Spirit in chapter 2, uh, he says, And you shall receive power uh, when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Isn't that interesting? In other words, that's a prior priority verse on the Holy Spirit working in your life. First and foremost, it's to be a witness. It's to tell other people about Jesus. And Satan works so hard to mute you and me. Well, they're not responding. Well, I'm not an evangelist. You're called to be a witness. I'm called to be a witness. That's a priority when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Don't let the devil mute you. And I know we get pushed back, and I know not everybody's going to come to Christ. But I think that when we talk about Jesus, we plant a whole lot of seeds. And someone's going to, else is going to come along, going to water them, and, and whoever is the lucky dog uh, who, uh, who does the harvesting, hallelujah. Um, and, and usually it's those who have the evangelistic gift. But I'll tell you what, we're all to be witnesses. We're to be, we're to be witnesses. We're to be sharing our faith 
And so here, even in the tribulation period, there's a highlight to that, that whole point in the sense of uh, they overcame him by the word of their testimony, sharing our particular story um, about the, what the Lord has done in our life. And then we find here uh, at the end of verse 11 that they love the Lord more than themselves. And these guys in the tribulation will have to prove it by their death. Isn't that the big challenge for us? Not, not so much the, the, the death thing, because most of us will probably not ever. You know, it's interesting, though. You know, some, some of these, um, like this young girl, Rachel Scott in Columbine, he's, the, one of those boys stood over her with a gun and asked her to recant her position as a Christian. Now, we hear this stuff happening all the time over in the third world. And we, we don't think that that, you know, that that could happen to somebody here, one of us. Well, we know her testimony. <laughs> Sometimes it uh, does us good to read things like, we don't, we don't like reading things like Fox's Book of Martyrs. We don't like reading that kind of stuff. But we need to realize our heritage. And you never know. You never know what test. What, what, what fiery trial that you and I will have to go through. But I, I think, I think uh, a lot of us, the, 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 the trial, the test is, sometimes uh, when you're with a group of people and somebody comes up with a spiritual religious question and they look right at you, there's your opportunity. There's your opportunity. And I think we need to be ready for those. As we, as we study the Bible and as we pray that the Holy Spirit gets us ready for those, those, those opportunities because they, they never come when we want them to come. Okay? They never come when I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm all juiced up, I'm ready. Okay, where are they? You know, they always come when I'm just, you know, it's like off the cuff kind of a thing. Why are they asking me that now? And that's when it comes. Love loved not their lives to the death. They proved it. Now, in verse 12, the scene on earth is much different than the heavenly one. And what we find in heaven, basically, they're rejoicing. Uh, they're rejoicing very simply because what has happened, that the devil has been evicted, you know, from there. And now he comes to the earth. And, and remember back in chapter 8, verse 13, uh, there was an announcement of three woes. These three woes that were simply going to come, you know, upon the earth. Uh, and we see them in chapters 9, chapters 11, and here in chapter 12. This is basically the third woe. And, and, and this woe here is basically the most intense uh, persecution and suffering that Israel and the Gentile believers have ever faced. Because the full fury of Satan, and, and most, we don't know that. We don't know that. Sometimes it happens maybe in the third world where Satan gets hold of a large group of people. And their whole intention is to destroy the church. Sometimes they don't even know why. But this is going to be a horrific time. You know, a, a woe means intense suffering and pain and grief that's going to come um, upon the earth that, that no one has ever experienced. So woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows 
that he has a short time. And we, we've had uh, different descriptions, haven't we, uh, relative to that three and a half year period, 1260 days, 42 months, um, and then three and a half years. And we have, another, we have another reference here, a time times and half a time. A time is a year, times is two, a half a time is a half a year, obviously. And that's a reference taken out of Daniel chapter 7, uh, you know, speaking there uh, you know, from an Old Testament uh, reference of this three and a half year period. You know, Jeremiah 30, 30 verse 7 uh, is an interesting uh, uh, prophecy. And it says this, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So he's describing here, Jeremiah, in his own terms, is describing this period now of, of Israel's trouble, Jacob's trouble. And, uh, and he's going to be saved out of it. In other words, he's going to go through it. You know, one of the things that uh, is interesting, that you get these little vignettes and little pictures all the way through Scripture. And we were just studying, if you were with us on a Wednesday night, we were just studying the book of Genesis. And, and it's, it's fascinating because it's the book of beginnings, and oftentimes it projects and looks down the corridor of history, uh, and, it, and it's predictive and, and prophetic about some of the events you know, that will take, you know, take place. Um, and over in Genesis chapter 5, you have a guy named Enoch. And, uh, and, 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 and you see these figures. They're representative figures, like Noah. He's a representative figure. Enoch is a representative figure. Uh, and, and he is representative of the church. And it's interesting about this guy because he was a prophet. We, we don't know that until you get over into the book of Jude. And Jude tells us that Enoch was a prophet. And he prophet about, prophesied about the coming of the Lord. But what was interesting about him, it said that, uh, you know, being a prophet, that he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. In other words, all the way back in Genesis, there was a translation that, that somebody, this person never died. They were just simply took, they were taken to heaven. And, and it's a picture of the church. But the interesting thing, the most interesting thing about that is, that takes place right before chapter 6, when this cataclysmic judgment comes upon the whole world, what we know as Noah's flood. Noah is who? He's representative of the Jew. He gets in the ark, and he goes through this thing, and he's delivered through it. He is saved out of it. And here you have a picture all the way back in Genesis. And it just shows you God just orchestrating things. There, there's no coincidences with God. There's no accidents. God is working out his program, and he's working out his purpose. And the Jew, in a sense, is like Noah. They're going to go through their cataclysmic judgment of the flood, but they're going to come out of it. You know, and it's interesting, too, it was a remnant, wasn't it? Of all the people, there was eight people. Eight people that came through that. And, and, and we, we're going to see that, too, with the nation of Israel. It's just going to be a remnant that are going to come through this, 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 this horrific time. And when you consider Israel, there has been no nation on earth that has ever suffered uh, like they have suffered. No nation has gone through and endured what they have um, you know, more than or longer than the nation of Israel. Now we see verse 13, and of course, we, we, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, um, or earlier in chapter 12, uh, you saw some of the different descriptions or names of the devil. Uh, the serpent, he's the old serpent. 
or he's the dragon. And it's interesting, have you have these different names because they represent, uh, I think, you know, different, uh, different ways in which he attacks God's people. It's, again, his modus operandi, his mode of operation. You know, sometimes he comes like a roaring lion or like a dragon breathing fire. But when he comes to seduce you, he comes like a serpent. Have you ever heard a snake in the grass? And I hate snakes. I, I, man, I go in the wood and I'm looking for them. I know they're here. Lord, just keep them away from me. You can't hear them. And, and the devil has that approach oftentimes to you and I for, for the purpose of seduction. But as he's operating in this particular venue here, he's a dragon. He's breathing fire. He, he's out to destroy. And particularly, this, is his, this is, would be, I think, no doubt, his final and most desperate attempt to destroy the nation of Israel. And you know he's pretty effective, but not completely. He's pretty effective. Even though he has been defanged at the cross. He's a squatter. He's got power, no doubt about that but he doesn't have the power that he once had. That's why Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. And that's why at the end of time, when he's exposed for what he is, people will look on and say, is this the man? There's a prophecy about that. Is this the man that destroyed the world, the cities? Yes. Him. You know, Zechariah gives us a little bit of insight as to what's going to happen with the Jewish nation. And I've heard, I've heard, I heard, I've heard another pastor put it like this: "There's another Holocaust coming." You know, we have the Holocaust deniers in certain parts of the world. But there's another one coming. And, and the prophet Zechariah speaks of it when he says this in chapter 13, verse 8 and 9. And again, the context of chapter 13 is basically the end of time. This, this particular period that we're looking at here in Revelation. It shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds of it shall be cut off and die. Now, he's not talking about the geographical earth. He's talking about the people. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. What I find was interesting is I kind of, the, the Lord had me do a little bit of, because I was wondering one time, one time, you know, how big, how large is the Jewish world population? Do you know the, the world Jewish population isn't all that much more than what it was in the 1930s? You realize that? The devastation of destroying six million people, six million Jews, 
it has taken them that long to get back. And that's six million that we know about. But that's not been the only, there's been pogroms. And other minor you know, Holocaust-type things taking place to the, with the Jew. The two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, and one-third shall be left in it. And here's what the Lord says, I will bring the one-third through the fire, and I'll refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name. And I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. So that's a future time uh, that, I, I, that uh, Zechariah is speaking of here. Now in verse 14 here, we find the woman is Israel. And again, I want to just point that out to you in case you weren't here uh, when we uh, were in the beginnings there of chapter, of chapter 12. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. And here we find another great deliverance, a miracle deliverance, really, for, for Israel. It's divine inter intervention. And, uh, pardon me. <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> this deliverance is no, nothing less than angelic deliverance. Remember the Lord said when he delivered them from Egypt in, in, in uh, uh, Exodus 19.4. He said, I, he said, I brought you out on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. And, uh, and so it's interesting that uh, eagles is a, you know, a metaphorical term, if you will, for angelic intervention. I wonder how many times God has intervened in the lives of his people, the church. I know for a fact he's intervened in my life because there's, there's a number of events I think I, I, I would not be alive. And I couldn't see the deliverance. But afterwards, I scratch my head and think, wow, what happened there? I used to say something like this, I escaped by the hair of my chinny chin chin. What was a porky pig used to say that? <laughs> I escaped by the hair of my chinny chin chin. But it wasn't coincidence. It's divine intervention. God's marvelous grace, and I know you have your, your, your stories as well. And so uh, they're delivered, and they go into the wilderness. Now, some people think this is Petra. We, you know, it, it could very well be. Uh, it could be, you know, maybe even the Judean wilderness. We're not exactly sure on that. But Hosea says something interesting about this, about this event over in Hosea 2, verse 14. When the Lord prophesies through Hosea, he says, Therefore I will lure her and bring her into the wilderness, and I'll speak comfortably to her. Here he's going to be there protecting, watching over his wayward wife, Israel. He's going to comfort her and minister to her and protect her in a very protect her against the, the Antichrist. The, the devil, and all those things that are attempting here to destroy the nation of Israel. Verse 16, it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. You no longer call me my master. In other words, the relationship will wonderfully change. 
Didn't that happen for us when we came to Christ? You know, God, you know, you know, God on the, you know, this distant God on the throne. And all of a sudden, you find yourself, you know, crying out, Abba, Father. There's this whole new tenderness that takes place, you know, in your life and in your relationship with him. Because he saved you. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me, he says, forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me and in righteousness and justice. In loving kindness and mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. Remember the whole theme of, of um, the book of Hosea is Hosea is called to marry this prostitute, this unfaithful woman. And it's a picture. It's a picture of God and the nation Israel. And, and she's always taken off. She's always, you know, leaving him. And, uh, but there's a time coming uh, where, where, where God is, you know, at this time bringing him, restoring the relationship. And I will betroth you in faithfulness, he says. And then finally, in verse 23, he says, I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. And then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they shall say that you are my God. So she shall fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time. Again, this is a reference out of Daniel chapter 7. A time, times, and half a time. That's simply three and a half years. Uh, from the presence, are away from the presence of the serpent, that is Satan. And so we find here the Holy Spirit, you know, hiding the remnant uh, the faithful remnant of Israel to protect them. You know, isn't it wonderful, uh, and many of us take it for granted, that we are protected by God. You know, Colossians tells us that we are hidden in Christ with God. You know, what wonderful, you know, watchful care, comprehensive care. You know, we see certain things that, you know, Maybe some of the bigger and more obvious things we see the Lord doing. Oh, thank you, Lord. But do you know that his care for you and me is so incredibly thorough? His hand upon your life. It's not just a blessing every once in a while. It's every day. It's moment by moment. Watching over you. Helping you to make certain decisions. Helping you to think in a certain way. You know, protecting you from, from you know, the evil and the things that are going on you know, in this world. I, I pray often as the Lord open my eyes because I, I, you know, sometimes you know, as I'm praying, I, I tend to get more glimpses of it when I'm praying. You know, as we just come before the Lord in our individual prayer life and spend some time with him. That's why, you know what, spend some time with the Lord. Because sometimes, you know, we can run in and out of prayer. You know, we get up, we gulp our cup of coffee down, and it's like we got 15 minutes, we open our Bible, and we, we want to do our devotions. We, we know they have value, but we're just hassled. We're harried. We're busy. When's, when's the last time you just sat before him? And I got some pretty comfortable chairs in my house. But when I want to meet with the Lord, I get on the floor. 
I don't know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I just get on the floor. I just want to get down low. And there's something about it, for me anyway, that he meets with me. Now, verse 15 is Satan. <clears throat> verse 15 here now is, is the enemy's uh, efforts uh, through the Antichrist and, and all of his forces. And it says, uh, the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. And so here he is attempting to mete out the final blow, you know, to Israel. Uh, I don't know if you ever read Psalm 124, but it's one of those psalms where the, the psalmist there is reflecting and looking at God's deliverances for the nation. And he says this in Psalm 124, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, when the waters would have overwhelmed us, and the stream would have gone over our soul, and then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. But he says, Blessed be the Lord who, is, who has not given us as a prey to their teeth, our soul is escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. This snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. How true that is. Not just for Israel, but for you and me as well. That, that he intervenes to, to, you know, to protect us against you know, destructive things. You know, the enemy trying to destroy us in one way or another. And that's why it's important too as maybe you see certain patterns taking place in the life of a brother or sister or a child that you know are not good, that you pray and intervene. Pray and ask for the Lord's intervention in that particular situation. Peter says we're kept. We're kept by his power. I love that verse. I've quoted that verse. I've thought of that verse many different times. We're kept. We're kept by his power. We're preserved. We're sustained. We're, we're watched over. We're cared for. We're the object of his love. Even though sometimes we may not feel like it. But that's feelings. Feelings come and feelings go. Listen to Isaiah this is a great verse. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And there are those times where the enemy just sort of comes in like a flood, like a tsunami. And that's when the Lord, he rises up. He lifts up the standard against the enemies of God. He's doing it here for the Jew, but yet he's done it for you and for me. I love also too Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. No weapon. You see that taking place as the enemy in all of his final efforts to destroy Israel. 
And again, here in verse 16, we see God's intervention, this ragtag group of refugees. Isn't it interesting when you see the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt? They don't have one weapon. They don't have one weapon. And God wanted it that way. Because he wanted to be glorified through their deliverance. Do you ever notice sometimes God just sort of, he strips us down where we don't have the resources we think we need to get the job done? And it's like the Lord's whispering in our ear, I want you to pray. I want you to pray. And all the, you know, all the while, our eyes are darting back and forth, resources, resources. Who can help us here in this situation? He says, look up. <laughs> look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And he's right there. He's right there for them. Now it says, the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, uh, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. It's probably a divinely sent earthquake. The Lord did that in Israel's history. Remember he wiped out the whole army of the Egyptians? They were just swallowed up by the Red Sea. Remember Korah and his rebellion? The earth just kind of opened up. And Can you imagine us being there observing that? You know, here's Korah and his rebellion. and his, It said that he had 250 leaders. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they come before, you know, Moses and Aaron. And, you know, Moses says something. Let's watch and see what the Lord does. And the earth just opens up, swallows them up. And it probably closed up again, too. Can you imagine just watching that saying, I'm going to be good. Uh, I will be good. Because maybe before you're thinking about throwing your lot in with, with, with Cora, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. You know how griping is, complaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be good. I'll be good. I promise. You know, I like what Chambers said in, in one of his devotional pieces. He said, God will tax the furthest star if need be to meet the need of his, needs of his people. I like that. I love that because it just reminds me of the tremendous care and the intervention that God does on our behalf. I, I'm convinced of this. I'm absolutely convinced if when we get to heaven, we're, we're going to have a full-orbed full, you know, full understanding. You know, it, it's going to, we're going to be so smart in heaven, Einstein's going to look like a remedial student. Okay? Like he was intellectually handicapped. So, I mean, what I'm saying is we're going to see it all. We're going to be able to see it all. And, and, I, and I know that when we see that, we're going to think, why didn't I pray more? Why didn't I ask God for, you know, to, to intervene or to work in this or that situation? Because Jesus said, we have not because we ask not. He will tax the furthest star to intervene in your life and my life. 
And again, as we talked about, as we referred to, I think last week we were talking about in Mother's Day, that, uh, that story of that mother praying, you know, for her daughter, you know, coming to Jesus. That it's not just, again, it's this power that we have, this great power with God, if you will, if I can use those words. This access to ask for other people, other people that may not even care or even be thinking about God or even want God, that you can pray for them. Of course, weren't we all like that at one time or another? Yes, we were. I didn't, I didn't want God messing with my life. But somebody thought differently. And they prayed. The Lord heard. And it was all part of his eternal plan. Now, verse 17, and we're going to close with this. Now, as all of his efforts, the, our great adversary, they fail. He goes berserk. And now here we find in verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman, with Israel. And he went to make war because she was protected to make war with the rest of his, his offspring, her offspring, excuse me, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. He turns his rage against the Christians. You know, there has been an age-long war. Remember over in Genesis chapter 3, and the Lord said to the serpent after the fall, of our parents, fall of the human race. God said to the, to the adversary, to the devil, he said, I will put enmity, I will put hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, Israel. And between your seed and her seed. And her seed is basically, you know, her, Eve's seed would basically be Israel, but ultimately it would be the church. It would be you and me. And he, Christ, will bruise your head, he's saying to Satan, a crushing blow. And you shall bruise only his heel. And so there's been this age-long war against God and the people of God. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that, that this world is not a playground. You know, one of the biggest problems with our culture right now, one of the biggest problems, it's an entertainment culture. Entertain me. I want to have fun. Make me feel good. And people are emotion, like emotional junkies trying to find some new tintillating experiences that's going to make me feel good about life. And that's why people get so utterly depressed when there comes any kind of degree or level, you know, of, of, of suffering or pain in their life. And when you look at the Bible, we get, a, we get a, an insight of the reality of what life really is because that's what life is. 
Yes, there's pain, there's setbacks. There can be great suffering, there's disease, there's death. But the promise that we have in Scripture is, he says, I will be with you. And we have to be careful that we don't get carried away and this culture doesn't just seep and bleed into us. It's values. Generally speaking, not everybody, but generally speaking, the culture has become so shallow. What would ever happen if there would be another event like World War II? And there's going to be. There's going to be. It's coming. <laughs> how, would, how, how would the, the people of our nation... You know, one of the sad things, and again, I, I commend the young women who are willing to put themselves in harm's way and in danger to protect other people in the armed forces. I commend their bravery. But at the same time, too, I believe that cowardly men have forced women into that situation, okay? And I find it interesting that many of these politicians want to send somebody else's daughter into harm's way, but not their own. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox. So looking at verse 17, I, I, I believe that the church will be the endless target of Satan and evil. But you know the Bible tells us this, fear not. Fear not because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you. And remember, Jesus taught us how to use this great weapon. It is written. It is written. It is written. Isaiah 43. I'll close with this. Speaking here to Israel. For I fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the waters, the rivers rather, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, for I have loved you. Lord, we thank you for your love today. Thank you for your protection. Lord, we get a little picture into the future, what's going to take place, Lord, on this earth. 
Lord, help us to realize as well that you have called us to be witnesses. You've called us, Lord, to be overcomers. Lord, you've given us the wherewithal. You've imparted your blessed Holy Spirit, this great power, this great spiritual power, where you remind us that, Lord, you are greater in us than he that is in this world. And, Father, I pray that you'd strengthen us as we see these things. Lord, as we understand what's going to take place, Lord, on this earth, that, Lord, we'd be busy about your business. We would be active. Lord, give us, we pray this week, Lord, opportunities. Lord, to, to, get, to share our testimony, to, to speak of you in some way. Lord, we need boldness. Lord, take, take away the fear, the fear of rejection. Lord, the, the political correctness, the pressure of it all. Lord, uh, we're, we're on the winning side. And even though, Lord, that may not be evident to many people, it will be soon. So I pray, Father, your blessing, your strength, your hand, your encouragement. Guide us, we pray. Help us to live for Christ with all of our hearts, all of our passion. Lord, we can be so very passionate. But to be passionate, Lord, about you, about the truth, help us to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.